The psalm that I want to share with you is Psalm 46. So if you want to turn to Psalm 46 in your Bibles, uh, I hope that you brought one, whether that's you have a Bible in your hand, on your phone, wherever it is, I want you to turn to Psalm 46. Because Psalm 46 is a psalm that if you are not familiar with it, I hope that when you walk out of these doors, you will say to yourself, that is a psalm that I need to have with me all the time. You ever have things with you that you don't ever want to leave home without? Uh, some of us would say, yeah, it's, it's right here, right? It's, it's my phone. In fact, I even brought it up on stage with me. Not that if I ever got a call, I would answer it right now, but for some reason I brought it on stage with me. Why? Because many of us, we don't ever go anywhere without this thing. Even so much, have you ever been this way? Like you're halfway on your way to work and you're like, oh my goodness, I forgot my phone. And what do you do? You turn around, you go back home, you grab your phone because after all, if you lived any length of time, who knows what we did 20 years ago before we had one of these things, right? But this might be something that you take with you wherever you go. Maybe it's your wallet. You take your wallet with you wherever you go. Maybe it's your purse. Speaking of ladies, it's your purse that you take with you wherever you go. I don't know what it is. Maybe it could be something else that you're like, I have to have this thing wherever I go, on me always. Psalm 46 is that type of psalm. Now we know in 2 Timothy 3.16 it says all scripture is breathed out by God. So all of scripture is important. We need to know it. We need to hear it. We need to apply it to our life. But there are certain passages of scripture that are go-to passages of scripture. There's certain passages of scripture that literally speak to anything and everything that we encounter in life and are, are really passages of scripture that you're like, man, this is something that I take with me wherever I go. I hope that's true of you. And so when we think about that, if this psalm is not already one of those psalms, I hope it will be. It's 11 verses. It's not very long. It's a psalm that I encourage you to memorize because I really believe as we unpack this psalm that you're going to be like, man, that is something that I need to have on me always. Now, here's what you need to understand about Psalm 46 is it was, it was a significant psalm to this individual that if you love history, you'll know this individual. His name was Martin Luther. How many of you know Martin Luther? You're familiar with that name. Raise your hand. Okay, so the majority of the crowd, you ought to be familiar with that if you're not because it's important to church history. Martin Luther is often referred to as the father of the Reformation. He's probably most well known by nailing what we called his 95 theses to the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517 in protest to the Catholic Church that at the time was selling indulgences, selling these pieces of paper that people would buy to hopefully absolve the guilt of their own or someone who has already passed on, and they were being shady about it, they were being dishonest about it, they were selling these things to gain money from the people, playing on their emotions, and obviously Martin Luther was like, there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about this, so he nails 95 different points of objection to this selling of indulgence, indulgences that was going on at the time. And it literally sent a shockwave through the known church at the time and really began the Reformation. And Martin Luther is most well known by his love of Romans and really Romans 1.17. It was the passage of scripture that really led to his conversion that says, the just shall live by faith. So that's Martin Luther. But what you may not know about Martin Luther is he was a lover of the Psalms. The Psalms had a profound impact on his life, particularly Psalm 46. In fact, Psalm 46 is Martin Luther's favorite Psalm. It was the Psalm that during times of dark and dangerous circumstances in his life because of the Reformation, when he was terribly discouraged or even depressed, he would go to this psalm. In fact, Philip Melanchthon, who was his co-worker, right-hand man during this time, one of his best friends, he would often say this to Philip Melanchthon during times of trouble. He would say, come, Philip, let's sing the 46th psalm. And what I hope when you walk out of here 
that you'll say to yourself during times of trouble, which you may be in right now. You may say to yourself, hey, come, Lord, let me go to the Psalm 46. Let me encourage my heart in that Psalm. That you'd say to your spouse if you're married, hey, we're in a time of trouble right now. Let's go to Psalm 46. You'd gather your family together and you'd say, let's go to Psalm 46. You're in any type of relationship and you're going through a time of trouble. Hey, let's go to Psalm 46. And see, Psalm 46 is divided into three stanzas, three sections. The first section is found in verses one through three, and this stanza makes a statement about who God is, that God is our refuge, even in the worst set of circumstances. And then you'll find at the end of the first stanza, and actually every one of these stanzas, the word Selah, which if you're ever reading the Psalms, you'll find that. Remember, Psalms are, are songs, words of the Lord put to music. And when you find that word Selah, it was literally to indicate that there was to be a pause in the music that was being played and the words that were being sung. But it was more than just a musical reference to a pause. It literally was to encourage you to stop and to think about what you just said, what you just read, what you just sang. And you'll find this word after each of these stanzas. The second stanza is found in verses four through six. It talks about God's defense of this city of his. And then you'll come to stanza three, which talks about the future of God's eternal reign over heaven and earth where sin will be no more. Do you do certain things when you're afraid? Do you do certain things? Do you have certain things that normally are kind of your MO when you're afraid? I've found that there's really three types of people that when you hit a crisis or when you're in a time of great fear, there's really three types of people, or better way to say it is three, three ways people react to when you're afraid. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand to indicate which one you are. I'm not gonna do that to you, but what I've found is, is there's these three types. First of all, there's a type that when fear comes or, or something out of the norm comes or, or a calamity or a crisis comes, they're the people that panic. You might be one of those people. Like something happens and it's just like, ah! and you, you just, you go crazy. Like in our household, I was thinking about it and I'm not gonna let you know which one of us, Lori or I, react this way because it could be me. But I remember our child, Lucas, when he was little, he was about, he was a little older, between one and two, so he was walking and he was in that stage, you know, when you're, if you have kids and they're walking but they also wanna run, they're like trying out their legs for the first time and they're getting to that point where they run but when they run, they're like this and they're, they're like, you're like just waiting for them to fall. And so I remember Lucas was running across the living room and we had this coffee table and he was running right by the coffee table and obviously, I'm not gonna mimic how they run again for you, I'm not gonna give you that enjoyment, but he was doing that and all of a sudden he falls and hits his forehead on the corner of the coffee table. So I'm not gonna say which one of us began to in that time of crisis to panic. Ah, I can't look, you look for me. And so, little did I know what can happen. Like, I'm just helping you out. We got a lot of first-time parents in our church. So if your kid ever falls and knocks their head and looks like a unicorn in a matter of two seconds, it's gonna be okay. Because literally, Lucas, like the lump went literally out two or three inches. I mean, my kid all of a sudden became a unicorn. I was like, he's, he's gonna have a hard time getting married if this thing doesn't go down. And, and, and so one of us just swooped in and went to action. See, there's... There's some of you that when a crisis hits, you panic. And then there's another group of us in this room that we don't necessarily panic. You know what we do? We freeze. It's like literally our brain goes into pause and we're like. And those of you who don't like that, they're like, hello, hello, we gotta do something here. Maybe, maybe you're like that and you absolutely freeze. And then there's a third of us we all wanna be this way, we pretend we're this way, but there are a certain group of people, and we're very thankful for these people during a time of crisis, where they just go into action. 
Like, bam, what needs to be done? What needs to be fixed? What needs to be bandaged? What needs to be stitched up? What, what, what do we need to do? Who needs to be called? And we're very thankful for those people. But even those people, you know what you do? If you're like one of these, you go into action. Then after everything dies down, then you start freaking out of what could have happened or what just happened. See, my point is this. It doesn't matter who you are, how you're wired, how you react to fearful times. We all, in times of fear, need help. And that's exactly what this psalm talks about. See, here's what I want you to understand this morning. In this message And let me give you the title first, it's this, Are You Running From God or To God? See, we do one or the other in times where we need help. But what I want you to understand is this, that where you run and where I run for help, because we will run to someone or something, where you run for help will determine if you, if I experience fear or courage in times of trouble. And I know every one of us in this room does not want to experience fear and be paralyzed by fear. Rather, we want to experience courage in times of trouble. But that is determined by where you and I run to for help. What I love about Psalm 46 is the emphasis is on God himself, who he is. He is our refuge what he can do, how nothing in the universe can be compared to who he is and what he can do. This is not a psalm about you, and this is not a psalm about me. We love passages of scripture that talk about me. We love those, because we're narcissistic in my nature. But what I love is this is a psalm, not about me, not about you, it's about God himself. And so I'm going to pray here as we unpack this psalm this morning because I want you to pray along with me as I pray out loud, saying, Lord, let me think about the trouble that I may be in right now. Maybe I'm freaking out. Maybe I'm freezing. Maybe I want to run ahead of God and run ahead of you and do everything on my own because I'm a man or woman of action. I don't know how you react, but I want you to think about it whatever it is, and I want you to pray, Lord, would you show me who you are in the midst of this trouble so that I will run to you for help. Would you pray with me as I pray out loud? Lord, we're here today to hear from you. As Beth already prayed, Lord, when your word is open, your mouth is open. So Lord, we are ready to hear from you what you have for us today. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that are experiencing great trouble. May they run to you for help. Some of us may be in this room and we're experiencing a really calm season of life. And God, we praise you for that. But Lord, we all know because we've all lived enough days to know that times of trouble will come. So God, would we be reminded even in the midst of our calm season today where we run to for help. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I wanna give you three things that God provides you that's found in these three stanzas, in these 11 verses, that can help you and help me experience courage in times of trouble. Because we want that. We don't wanna live in fear, we wanna live in courage. And, And I think we can live in courage and experience the courage that the Lord wants us to experience when we concentrate on these three things that God provides. So let's look at the first one, and it's found in verses one through three. So look at these verses with me. The psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form, foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there's that word, selah. Sit on that, dwell on that, contemplate that, let that sink in. You can understand why Selah is mentioned after 
those amazing three verses. And see, I see in these three verses the first thing that God provides is that I can experience that courage so that you can experience that courage in times of trouble. Here it is, number one, his protection. His protection. See, his protection provides me with two types of help in times of trouble because isn't that what it says in verse one? That he's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. His help provides me with two things when I'm in trouble. And that word trouble is an interesting word. It's a very uh, significant word, a word that, it, that has much uh, depth and picture to it. Because here's what that word literally means. It literally, trouble literally means this, whatever boxes me in. How many of you are claustrophobic in here? Raise your hand. Anybody claustrophobic? Okay, we got a few people that are claustrophobic. And you're claustrophobic when you are, feel like you're boxed in, when things are tight, when you can't move your arms and your legs and you're stuck. Like if you're claustrophobic right now, you want me to stop talking about claustro- being claustrophobic. You're like already starting to breathe heavy. You're thinking about that first time in your life when you were put in a tight place and that has caused you to feel that way. What does it do? It brings anxiety. Why? Because you feel like there's no way out. You ever been in a situation like that? You feel boxed in. It's like wherever I go, man, if I go to the right or left, you're right. If I go to the left, I'm boxed in. If I go this way, man, I'm boxed in. If I go this way, I'm boxed in. If I go towards my front, I'm boxed in. There's no way out. You ever... Been in one of those times? You may be in one of those times right now. I feel like there is no way out. And when I feel boxed in, there's anxiety. That's the word trouble. To be boxed in in such a way that it creates anxiety within you. That's the word for trouble. And when I'm in that time of trouble, I want help. And the amazing thing is, is God promises his help. Because he says, first of all, the psalmist says, first of all, God is our refuge in that time. He's the person that I can run to, to get away from the trouble. That word refuge actually means to rely on. It's denoting the one that I rely on, the one that I take refuge in, the one that I run to. It has the idea that God is the person. He is paramount. He's the one that I should run to for this, to get away from my trouble. We all have something or someone that we do to get away in times of trouble, right? Some of you are like, man, you know what I love so much when I'm in a stressful time or a time of trouble, when I, or it's used the, the definition of the word, when I feel boxed in, you know what I do? Man, some of us are like, man, I just wanna go in, I wanna close the bathroom door, I wanna run the bath, I wanna put up some candles, and I just wanna sit in the bathtub and make some bubbles and just sit there with some soft music and just get away. Some ladies wanna do that too. Don't lie, guys. I know some of you. You never let anybody know. Now, I don't do that. Some of you guys may. Maybe that's what it is. People are like, man, I fire up my hot tub. I don't take a bath. I sit in a hot tub. Or you may are like, man, I just want to, I get in my room. I close the door. I lock it. I tell the kids to leave me alone. And I put on Netflix with my headphones. Because I just want to escape. I want to get away from the trouble. All of us have someone or something that we run to for help in times of trouble. And that's why I say, where you run for help will determine whether or not you experience fear or courage in those times. And this psalmist reminds us of a reality that God is our refuge. He is the one that we ought to run to, to get away from the trouble we are experiencing in our life. But let's face it, I know some of us are in this room this morning, 
and we've not yet experienced this reality in our life. See, it's still theoretical. You've heard other people talk about it. You've heard other people share testimonies about how they've experienced God as their refuge. You've heard family members talk about it. You've heard friends talk about it. You've heard me talk about it. But you're like, man, I haven't experienced that yet. You know why? Because it's theoretical for you. You have yet to apply it. And that may be why you're like, well, that's great. I know that's what it says, but that's not what I've experienced. Or maybe some of you are in this room and you're like, man, I don't believe that verse. I'm, not, I'm struggling to believe that what God says I can experience is truly reality because maybe you tried it once, but because God didn't go along with your agenda You've equated God because you haven't gone along with my agenda. Therefore, what you say about yourself isn't true. And you may be here this morning and you're like, I tried that once. I'm not trying it again. But the problem is, is you put your agenda on God's agenda. So really, it's not God who's not who he says he is. You just haven't submitted Him to, to him to the way, the way that he desires you to do so. And I've had times in my life where I'm like, God, I know this is what it says, but I'm struggling to believe it right now. And if that's you today, can I encourage you with a little word that's found in verse one that has such significance? You're like, Johnny, what is it? Look at with me in verse one. It's this little two-letter word. Can you guess it already? Is. Because it doesn't say God was our refuge. It doesn't say God maybe is our refuge. It doesn't say God could be our refuge. It doesn't say God sometimes is our refuge. It says God is today. There is a common practice in my life that has told me that God is my refuge. He is the person that I can run to. This psalmist has lived this out. So there is a certainty to this reality in his life. And what God desires for you is to see him as an is God, not as a was God. That you can say in your life, no, 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 I know in spite of the trouble, in spite of feeling boxed in, in spite of the anxiety that I want to struggle with, in spite of feeling closed in and my anxiety wants to rise, here's what I'm going to do in that time so I can experience courage over fear. I'm going to look to the Lord as my protection because God is my refuge. But what else does he say? He also says God is my strength. See, he's the person, God's the person who is the source of my strength. See, that little word is means that God gives me strength not just for yesterday, not just for tomorrow, but for today. Today. That trouble that's bothering you, he's giving you strength for today. Because he's not just a refuge, the person that you can run to, to get away from trouble. To have moment to where you can concentrate on him rather than the circumstances around you. But he is also a God that gives you the strength that you need so that you can get through the trouble. Because I've found in my life, and I'm sure it's true of you, that it's in those times of trouble when everything in me wants to say, God, just take it away. God, take it away. I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't want to go through it. But what I've found in my life, and you would say this true of you, that when I walk through the trouble, experiencing God's strength, it grows my faith in such such an exponential way so that the next time when trouble comes, I can say in a greater way like this psalmist could say, no, 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 here's what I know. God is my refuge and strength. See, the strongest people in life, what I've found, are the most self-aware people in life. Here's why I say that. Because they know who they are, 
and they know who they're not. And you could apply that principle outside of church. But see, when I'm self-aware to who I am, which means I'm also self-aware to who I'm not, that gives me great strength in times of trouble. I mean, Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 12.10 where he says, when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Like when I experience the most strength is when I understand that in and of myself, I am weak. And some of us are those call to action people that when the trouble is going on, man, we don't even take time to stop and run to the Lord to our help. We're going and we're doing everything, talking to everyone, thinking of every strategy, thinking of every option, thinking of plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and we could go all the way to Z. And it's only until we've worked everything out that we're like, oh, I've come to an awareness that I actually need the Lord for help. And God's like, I was just waiting for you to realize that. See, it's when I'm self-aware, like the psalmist is, of who I am and who I'm not, that I experience tremendous supernatural strength to go through the trouble. And I'm thankful for the times that I experience God as my refuge to where I get alone with him and I open up his word and I call out to him and I I just take time to sit in his presence that allows me to get away, quote unquote, from my trouble. But I'm also thankful for the strength that I experience when I look to the Lord for who he is and who I'm not to experience that strength to be able to get through the trouble. But here's what's awesome. Look at what the end of verse one says. It says that God is a very present help in trouble. Now, we talked about what trouble means. But here's what a very present help in trouble literally means. It means a very accessible help, one that is easy to be found. You ever have those people in your life that when you're going through something difficult, all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found? Like, they're with you, man, when things are going 100% and amazing and everything goes, you know, the sun's out, the, the clouds have parted, man, all of a sudden, I got everybody around me, but the minute that something difficult comes by, all of a sudden, they ain't picking up their phone, they ain't answering my texts, like, they all scatter and go and leave. We've all experienced that. What's so awesome here is it says God is our refuge and he's our strength and he is easily found. God's never gonna ignore your cry for help. God's never gonna be on vacation. He's never gonna be too busy. He is a help. And when you need your help, he is always found. Hebrews 10.22, you ought to write Hebrews 10.22 right next to verse 1 of Psalm 46 because Hebrews 10.22 says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Lord, I am going to you as my refuge. I'm going to you for my strength. God, I am going to experience courage in the midst of this time of trouble. Why? Because I am relying on your protection. You are my refuge and strength. And when we believe that God is our protection, what is the result? It's found in verse 2. It says, therefore, because of this reality in verse 1, what will my response be? Therefore, we will not fear. I'm not going to be crippled by fear. See, here's the thing about fear. It's an emotion, which means we all have it. So it's not that I will be free from the absence of fear when I'm in times of trouble, but when I am running to the Lord as my help, I will not be crippled by that fear. That fear will not cause me to not move forward and go through that and run to the one who can be my help. See, some of you are crippled by fear right now. You're frozen. And the reason why is you're running to the wrong thing or the wrong person for the help that will give you the courage that 
you need. But notice the scenario. When will I not fear? Like, when will I experience this? And it says, though the earth gives way. You feel like that right now? Like, literally, someone's taken the carpet right out from under you. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Like, mountains are always a thing of stability, a thing that doesn't change in the scriptures. Like those, those things that just seem like overwhelming obstacles. Sometimes that's the word that is used. But there's a certainty to mountains in the Bible. In other words, they've been here before you and they'll be there after you. And even in a scenario when it seems like the mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, what's the reality that doesn't change? God's still our refuge and strength. He's still a very present help in troubles. That even though it seems like everything else is shaking around you, we have a certainty that we have a God who is not shaken. And because I have a God who's not shaken, and because that God who's not shaken is my refuge and strength and he's my protection, therefore I can have a promise that when I run to him for help, I will not be shaken. Psalm 46 is such a great psalm. It's a psalm we need to take with us everywhere. Psalm 23 is also another good psalm. In fact, if you remember, if you call this place your home, we walked through Psalm 23 the first two months of this year. And I said a phrase every week that, I some, that there was a moment when I wish I wouldn't have said it. I said this phrase to every person that was in the audience that Sunday. I said, man, my prayer is I want you to really know, really experience, really believe Psalm 23 in a way you never have before. So you know what the Lord was like? You said that to everybody else, Johnny? I'm going to answer that for you. So I can say in those first two months, man, I really experienced, really believed, really grew to know the truth in Psalm 23 in a way that I had never experienced before. I'd never had a panic attack before in my life, before we walked through Psalm 23. Never. In fact, can I just be transparent with you? I know many people would come to me and talk about their panic attacks, and if I'm going to be completely transparent, I was very sympathetic to that, but I was kind of like, that's unfortunate for them, but I can never see myself experiencing that. Until the Lord said, you're going to really know, really experience, really believe Psalm 23 like you never had before. I remember waking up in the middle of the night with terrible panic attacks. Couldn't breathe. Felt like there was a weight in my chest. And you know what I ended up quoting? Psalm 23. Psalm 46. Psalm 27 to remind myself of what I needed to know. It was in those times that I grew in a greater way than I did back in December of 2018, to where I can say, stand up here before you today and say, I know in a greater way, I've grown in understanding in a greater way that God is my refuge and strength. But it's when you take the initiative to run to the right person for help, that you will experience the courage that the Lord desires you to experience in a greater way in your life. Here's the second thing that we experience, the courage that we need because God promises this second thing. Look at verse four through seven. It says, there is a river. That river literally has the idea, when you see a river in the Old Testament, it has the idea of, a, of the presence of God. So there is a river, presence of God, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved and God will help her when morning dawns and the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Like if you needed three more verses to dwell on, here they are, Selah. See, God not only provides us with his protection, but he also provides us with his presence. When we're in those times of trouble, his presence. 
Now, here's what you need to understand about the historical context that most commentators believe about Psalm 46 is you have this phrase, city of God, which is often used of speaking specifically to the city of Jerusalem. And most people believe that this psalm was referring to when the Assyrian king Sennacherib was going to lay siege on the city of Jerusalem when King Hezekiah was ruling, and you can find this in 2 Kings 18 and 19. And so King Sennacherib of this Assyrian army, which was a mighty army, was about to lay siege on the city of Jerusalem. And so King Sennacherib's commander goes to the city of Jerusalem and basically does some smack talk. Does everybody know what smack talk is? Like talking trash? Like you got everybody, yes, yes on that? Okay. Um, even if you're not an athlete, that's just, you know, you're, you're talking, I don't know how to explain it. You're talking smack. And so Sennacherib's general or commander was, was doing that, and so he sends this letter to King Hezekiah that basically says, hey, what we did to every other nation up to this point, we're going to do to you. And every other nation thought that their God was awesome and was going to deliver them, and so we're also going to conquer you, and you're going to come to the realization that your God is nothing, And so King Hezekiah gets this letter, and obviously he's fearful and he's scared, and so he spreads this letter across the floor, and he calls out to God, and he prays out to God, and he asks God for deliverance. And so God answers Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, and God says to the prophet Isaiah, I will intervene, and I will send an angel of the Lord who will defeat this Assyrian army. And so King Hezekiah wakes up the next day. And he realizes that an angel of the Lord has come and wiped out 185,000 people of the army of the Assyrians. And so when it says here in these three verses, specifically verse 5, God will help her when morning dawns, that's what this psalm is talking about. But the city of God just doesn't refer to the city of Jerusalem specifically, but it's also a phrase to refer to all the people of God. And so if today you sit here and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection for your sins, not the good that you've done or you hope to do, but in the perfection that Christ has accomplished for you, guess what? You're one of those people. And so the promise that's mentioned in verses four through seven about the Lord's presence is a promise for you. Because here's what God's presence provides me with. It provides me with peace. Peace. Even that word, doesn't it give a sense of calm to it? Like, just say that with me. Peace. Just that word. Because look at verse four again. It says, there's a river whose streams make glad. That word glad refers to refreshment and calm. Like, there's this river, this presence of God, and it's in the middle of this city. It's available to you and it's available to me. And what does it do in times of trouble? It brings calm. It brings refreshment. It brings peace. Peace is always the result of experiencing God's presence. Always. Jesus refers to the presence in John 16, 33, when he says, in me you have peace In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We lack peace. If you lack peace this morning, it's because you're not taking advantage of God's presence. I've never experienced in my life a time where I wasn't having peace where I also wasn't taking time to be with God. Well, I'm a man of action. Yeah. You need to stop. You need to go to God's word. You need to pour your heart out to him. You admit where you're weak and where he's strong and allow the peace of God to refresh you. It's what his presence brings. But look in verses five through seven. I've already read it, but verses five through seven speak to God's presence providing me with stability because it says there, God is in the midst of her. It doesn't say that God is to the side of her. 
that God is beside her. It doesn't say that God is there in the distance. No, no, it says, it says God is with you right there in the middle, in the trouble. He's not running away from it. He is right there with you. And if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what I have to remind me of God's presence is the Holy Spirit who dwells within me. Because I don't know about you, but when you're going through times of trouble, you know what begins to wage war in your mind? You begin to say to yourself, man, am I even a child of God? Like, would I really be going through this if I was a child of God? Like, am I? Do I really believe this? And Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are what? That we are his. It's in those times of trouble where God's presence through the Holy Spirit reminds us, I am right there with you in the midst. Man, God's presence gives me and it gives you stability. And it says, God will help her when the morning dawns. And I already explained to what the historical significance of that. But you know what that reminds me and ought to remind you is God is never late. He's always on time. And God is working even when it seems like he's not. So you know what you need to do? You need to rest. You need to say, God, I'm going to sleep. So that when I wake up, when morning dawns, I'm reminded that you're at work. You're at work even when I can't see it. You're at work even when I don't understand it. God, you're always on time. You're never late. And listen to me, I know that's a struggle because there have been many, many times in my life, including the not too distant past, where I'm like, God, this would be a great time. This would be an amazing time. Like, I can't, I mean, I mean, I literally, you could get so much glory for working right now. Like, here it is, God, it's teed up. All you have to do is hit the ball. You can knock the cover off the ball right now. Perfect time, God. And God's like, no, 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 I got a better plan. Get a better plan. But just because God has a better plan than my plan doesn't mean he's late. Because my God's always on time. His presence provides me with stability. Why? Because it says God will help her, help me when morning dawns. Now, look at the end of verse, or look at verse seven. Because when we look at verse six, and I know you're like, well, why do you skip verse six? Well, verse six just shows that there's no conditions to where God's presence isn't there. The nations can rage, the kingdoms can totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. Like God's greater than any trouble that we're experiencing. But how do we know that this is a reality? How do I know that Psalm 46 is what it is? How do I know I can take it with me wherever I go and apply it to every situation I will encounter in life? You know why? Because the Lord signs his name to this. Because in your Bible, it should have Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And if it doesn't, go get another Bible this week. Because if you remember back to our Psalm 23 series, here's a little test. Here's a little review test. Like, didn't you love those in school? Like, when you see the name Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's the word Yahweh. But it is the Tetra, do you remember? Tetragrammaton. It's the thing by which God signs his name. It refers to him being self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal being. It's It's the most personal name for God. It's what God uses when he wants to sign his name to a promise. And literally what he's saying is, is I'm putting my name on the line. You don't believe that I'm your refuge? You don't believe that I'm your strength? You don't believe that I can provide my presence in the midst of your trouble? I'm putting my name and my reputation on the line. That's how serious the Lord is about it. And then you have this phrase, the God of Jacob is our fortress. 15 out of 17 times this word fortress is used. It's used to picture the believer's security in God. What's he going after here? 
I'm with you every step of the way. I'm your protection. I provided my presence. And look at verses 8 through 11. We're going to find the third thing God provides so that we can experience his courage in times of trouble. It says in verses 8 through 11, come, behold. That literally means gaze or look upon with discernment. Like, it's not like glance at it, I see it in my peripheral, like, oh yeah, it looks good. No, no, no. It's gaze, it's look upon it, it's dwell upon it, it's discern, it's savor it. That's what he says. He says, come, I want you to behold my works, not your works, my works. I want you to dwell upon what I've already done, and, I, and in dwelling upon what I've already done, and dwelling upon what I promise, you will have hope and strength Encouraged to know that I got tomorrow figured out too. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Remember, this is speaking to what God will do in the future when he rights all wrongs, when sin is no more. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's that line again from verse seven. What does God provide us? Number three, his purposes. God knows what he's doing. And his purposes will not be thwarted. His purposes will not be thwarted in your life. And his purposes will not be thwarted in my life. And his purposes will not be thwarted in what he has ordained for him coming once again to rule and reign. And I need to come and behold those in times of trouble. When I'm feeling boxed in and anxiety is on the rise. See, where's your focus today? Because what verse 8 tells me is take my focus off of my trouble and put it on the Lord who's my refuge and strength. the one who is in my midst every step of the way, the one who has it all under control. See, when I trust in God's sovereignty that he's ruling and reigning over all things, when I trust in God's sovereignty, as difficult as that is, the result is peace. We talked about that. But when I trust in what I can do, you know what the result always seems to be? Not peace, but panic. Because I know my limitations. I know what I can't do. And if I don't know, I come quickly to know. But when I focus on the Lord's work, there is peace. And how do I focus on God's purposes? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because verse 10 tells us, you know how I do it? Be still. Now, I have a battle that wages inside of me that will always wage inside of me until I'm with Jesus one day. And you know what it is? It's this for me, and it may be true for you, that I equate being still with doing nothing. Anybody else in the room like that? Don't leave me out here by myself. That's what I equate it with. God, being still means doing nothing. There's so many things that need to be addressed. There's so many problems that need to be solved. There's so much trouble that needs to be fixed. Be still. But God, that means I'm not doing anything. Be still. Because being still is the greatest activity that you and I can do in times of trouble. Because be still literally means this, to drop your hands and relax. Relax. Just look to the person next to you and say that. Relax. Because when I'm still, then here's what I can know. It says, be still and what? And know that I'm God. It's not a knowledge that let me know some facts about God. Let me know more some theology about God. No, no, no. It's knowing God in a personal and more intimate way. And the only way that I can know the Lord in a more intimate way is to be still. 
And in that time of being still, what do I need to do? I need to contemplate on who God is. I need to take my fears to him. I need to take my anxiety to him. I need to take my anger to him. I need to take my whatever feelings I have towards him. See, when you understand that being still is that, that is anything but inactive, is it not? Man, that is the most active thing that you and I can do. And allow God's purposes to speak whatever that is. Remember recently being with my counselor. Yeah, your pastor every once in a while goes to a counselor too. You need to know that. There's certain times it's like, okay, I can't get myself out of this. I remember meeting with my counselor, and I literally remember saying to Lori before I went, what's he going to tell me that I don't already know? So I went and I processed some things with him and talked about, okay, like I'm in this working through this emotion and like I feel guilty to even take it to God because if I take it to God, then therefore I am dismissing all the things that God has done. And he's like, yeah, but that's relationship. Like is believing that God's big enough to hear where you're frustrated or where you may be angry or where you may be upset or like God's big enough to handle that stuff. And I'm like, I know I've preached this. But I needed someone else to give me permission to be able to do that. To take to God, not just God, let me thank you for these things, but God, right now I'm a little, I'm upset that this didn't work out this way or this was done this way or this was done that way. Like God wants to hear those things too. God wants his purposes to be able to speak to those things too. But it takes you and it takes me being still. And when I'm still, I can know God in a more intimate way. Where are you running for help today? See, God wants us to experience his protection, his strength. He wants us to experience his presence. He wants us to experience his peace through understanding his purposes You know, I mentioned Martin Luther at the beginning of this message and how Psalm 46 was his favorite psalm. But it was his favorite psalm so much so that he wrote a hymn based on this psalm. And if you're like me, my childhood was opening up a hymn book and reading the hymns and sometimes you'd read the, sing the first, second, and fourth stanza. For some reason, the third stanza was always the one that you didn't sing. I don't know why that was, but... That was me growing up, and I remember my favorite hymn, and it still is to this day, is this hymn that was based on Psalm 46 that Martin Luther wrote literally in 1519, and it is the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the second stanza says this, and we're going to close. It says, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord Sabaoth, or Lord of hosts, is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle.